What is up and welcome back to Zen Business, the show that studies health and mindfulness habits that ultra high performers use to reach the top of their industry and their craft. I'm your host, Jonathan Maxim, Managing Director at K&J Growth Hackers and founder of five digital companies. We've grown these companies to great levels and created an exciting and fulfilling life for our team members, but the truth is it was much more challenging than we ever could have imagined. All right, now let's jump in. What is up and welcome back to Zen Business. I am here back with Kizzy Parks out of Miami Beach, Florida, and we are so stoked to talk today. Uh, We are in the opposite corners of the the beautiful tropics of of the United States, and um, it is a beautiful day here as well. And I'm I'm just really excited to learn more about you, Kizzy, and, and everything that you know, has cultivated you to make who you are today and, you know, the mindfulness and the health habits you used to get there and, and a lot of your accomplishments. I'd love to just unpack and, and hear more about your story. So welcome to the show, Kizzy. Well, thank you so much. It's such an honor to be here, Jonathan. Absolutely. I'm honored to have you. So, you know, I've uh, had a chance to look a little bit around your background and, and see some of your story. And the first thing that always jumps out to me is just you know, when I see the the number of accomplishments, like the Inc. 5000 recognition and the recognitions from Entrepreneur, Rising Woman of the Year, I the first thing that comes to mind is it's just it's so impressive to see women who are taking charge and and creating change, right? Like that's that's really interesting to me because you know so much societal conditioning has has trained us to have all these mixed perspectives on what we should do and how we should be when, when really I just see you pursuing your purpose unapologetically. So I'm first want to acknowledge that. So, so kudos to you as a a female entrepreneur. I know the, the cards aren't always sorted in your favor uh, as a, as a woman. And and I think the challenges that we overcome as entrepreneurs are, are really what's interesting to me because we remember those so much more poignantly than, than the highlights, the highlights come and go, but the challenges are, are really what have that deep sense of meaning connected to them because that's usually where the breakthroughs come. So first, I want to just acknowledge that. And there's one thing that kind of stuck out to me otherwise from that is that you used to uh, be a, a young entrepreneur as a kid. Can you talk to me about the uh, the golf balls? Yeah, there was a time when I was like elementary school, right before middle school, I lived in lovely Danville, Illinois, and there were all these golf balls behind my friend's house. She lived right on an alley and there was a golf course that was adjacent. There, it was just littered with golf balls. So I would go through and pick them up, take them home, wash them, and set aside the really nice ones for my grandmother because that's how I knew the value of golf balls was because of her. And then I would resell the really good ones to the golfers just through the fence. Like I would literally like walk the fence and, Hey, you need some golf balls. And I'm like hustling golf balls through the fence. And I would take all my earnings and buy Funyuns and Nutty Bars. Funyuns were definitely the play. And I'm with you there. (laughs) What about the same thing? But that's, that's awesome. You know, it just, uh, it's interesting. I have a story like that as well, but, uh, I guess, Coming off the backs of that, at what age did you realize you were like a, a purebred entrepreneur? Like, when did you realize that, wow, that was my first business? It was really around that age and around that time when I knew I was like, okay, I'm going to be an entrepreneur one day and I know I'm going to earn a PhD in psychology. I just knew I didn't know in what or what I was going to do. It's just, I felt it. Yeah, it's, um, 
you already were an entrepreneur at that point. I think that, <laughs> at least for myself, I didn't give myself credit for that. I used to go to the basketball court and I would um, bring a cooler full of sodas and snacks and I would sell them to the kids on the, on the park. And uh, I remember, you know, all these cold, hard negotiations, kids are like, look, I know you paid 25 cents for this soda and you're selling it to me for a dollar. And I remember having to like stick up for myself and defend my pricing and things like that. And it was the, <laughs> the first streets negotiations that I was uh, given hard knock school. <laughs> That's true. But that is, it's, and to you, the same thing, you know, you started out and it was a, a great business, but also you got all that experience with negotiation and taking care of your product. Product and pricing strategy, market factors. Yes. Amazing. So, um, you know, I, I think those are really formative years. And I, I think people like you are, are lucky to have that kind of natural drive to do that because a lot of people aren't willing to take those kind of risks. You know, it's, it's intimidating. What are the things that really stuck out from those experiences that you still apply today? Like, uh, you know, as it comes to being an entrepreneur and a speaker and a leader? I just run with it. <laughs> like <laughs> often I'm like, well, why not? You know, like I, the, before we connected, I had a call with my stellar team member, Lori, who's also such a, a close friend of mine. And we were talking about one of these projects that we have. And, you know, there's a lot of questions that we have around it. There's some interesting things with it, but what's fun is we just run with it. Like we just, we don't know all the ins and outs. We have no idea. We don't even know, you know, there's a lot of really, a lot of unknowns. And for some that would really bring concern, but for us it's excitement and we know the sky's the limit. So I still have that same mindset, that kind of that bravery, that taking chances, that just throwing everything to, you know, to my higher power, because I just know if, if I don't go through it, if I don't have that experience, then I'm never going to do it. And then we learn. We're learning through this and we're apply it to something else and just keep pivoting. And that's the other big thing is just keep pivoting, keep trying and makes it all fun. Yeah, absolutely. I think the experience you get from that is unmatched, right? Like there's no better way than to just face fears, with small, starting with small ones, right? Taking small risks. And, and that's really what creates those deeply seated learnings and memories. And, and that's really what we recall and, and, and how we develop our personality. And, and our, our business is just a, really a manifestation. At least our first business is a manifestation of our, of our dreams and our personality. So it's, it's, it's so, so important that you take those risks. Now that you, you've got the grit experience starting at a super young age, and then you went on to get your PhD in psychology. Uh, I'd love to hear about kind of what you learned there, like what were the poignant things that stuck out from your psychology degree and, and how do you apply those in business today? How are those relevant? <laughs> I learned a lot of different things through graduate school. One was how to just talk on my feet. Often in my graduate program, you were expected to kind of validate your point of view orally written with some kind of citation. So, so whatever your point of view is, that's fine, but you needed to always be able to support it. And that's holds true with government contracting. When you write a proposal, you have to be able to back up what you say you're going to do. You have to always be prepared with government agencies to showcase, to support 
what you're capable of doing anytime that they ask about it. So I learned that. I also learned the importance of teamwork. Leading us to graduate school, I really hated working on teams and despised it and didn't understand it. Wow. I just didn't. I just really loved working by myself. It just brought so much more joy <laughs> at the time. And I didn't really, in undergrad, we didn't really have many team projects, but in graduate school, most of our projects were team-based. And what was also lovely about them is while we would meet in person, we also worked virtually. And this was, you know, some time ago. So it prepared me when it came to launching my flagship company, K-Parks Consulting. We've, we've largely been virtual out the gate in 08. Uh, I also really learned the importance of what I could offer as an industrial organizational psychologist, that many organizations and people would pay for those who analyze data to help them with research. I didn't really understand what people would pay for because there was this bucket of you get this degree, you go on and become a consultant. You get this degree, you go on into education. It wasn't, oh, you get this degree and then you can start you know, reselling Oculus headsets to an Air Force base, which I've done. And I didn't realize, oh, wow, these are different things that you can do, whether they're directly connected or they're extremely outside of that arena. So those, those are some things that really helped me throughout the, the life of, of KPC. Wonderful. Yeah, I think uh, what's interesting to me about that is that you kind of talked to me about everything but the education, teamwork, uh, group projects, presentation skills, building business cases or building logic for your claims. And that, that really speaks to the, to the value of higher education, in my opinion. It's more honestly of a, a social experience in a lot of ways. Um, I did a graduate degree as well, and, and I had to do the same. Um, I had to obviously build business cases. I, I spoke at the graduation, so that was obviously a good speaking experience. But that's, that's interesting. And I, you know, not a huge fan of our education systems as they are today, but look what it's done for you, right? Like there is obviously value there. And if we kind of reel back to like the educational component, because I'm super interested in human psychology. I have big time meditator. The show is called Zen Business, right? It's about people using mindfulness techniques to move business forward. One of my recent guests brought to the table about uh, the Jungian uh, philosophies of, you know, the ego and the inner self, the outer self, and uh, the right and left brain and how we connect those two. We connect the, the irrational, creative, storytelling, emotional brain on the right with the left, which is logic, planning, operations, things like that. And when you bridge that gap is really when you close deals uh, or you get people to listen. So I'd like to kind of hear like, you know, you've, you've obviously worked with the government, which is an, a completely different type of psychology than, than business, you know, if you're selling to other businesses. What about that experience, um, you know, of, of selling into government was, was different or, or unexpected? Like, how did, how did you utilize your psych psychological understanding to that and, and sell into them? So the government has a really long history in the realm of psychology. So they were one of the very first organizations to use standardized testing in a kind of selection or employment situation. There were military tests like the ASVAP that military recruits would go through and then they would use those results to place accordingly. 
So the military federal government has that connection. So I knew that. I knew that they placed value on what I could bring to the table or areas that I could offer to them. The other thing is, I also was aware that they do value research and various research findings, and you can apply some of that to what you're doing. So when I initially started out, I was in the whole space of diversity and inclusion. And so I was able to apply just you know, research that just talks about when you feel included, when you feel that you can bring your whole self to work, you're going to be more productive. That just because somebody is paid more doesn't mean they're going to perform better. Because these are the things that we misperceive. We think in life, we need a lot of money. We need to have a big fancy office. We need to have a big fancy title. And often all of those are myths and the research shows that. So it was really helpful with working with the federal government because when I first started out, I was in research data analytics. I helped out behind the scenes with overturning, don't ask, don't tell. I was involved in a lot of diversity and inclusion related topics. And all of this, you know, is centered around us as human beings, being able to be our true selves, whether you're in a uniform, whether you're a government contractor, whether you work for the federal government, whether you receive some kind of government service, you know, maybe it's even you filing your taxes, <laughs> you're so connected to the federal government, right? So it, it really helped in, in those spaces. And it also provided business opportunities because I could pitch new ideas. So for instance, an agency, they, they complained about some test integrity. They had a situation which those of us who went through college or dabbled in school, you may know people would steal and do steal test questions. And then they share the answers, be it online or they write it down on their body parts. And what they'll do is they'll create these databases so that when you go to take the test, you don't have to prepare because you have the answers, you know where to go. And so I worked with them on different solutions on how to get control over their testing situation. And how was I able to do that? Through my, my love and passion of IO psychology. So it's been really cool to be able to apply these different theories, these different techniques that I learned directly to the work. And then also even on the sales side, the psychology of influence, being able to provide and incorporate some of those methodologies that people don't think about providing multiple price options, how you do your discounting, how you pitch your ideas, all of that. When I, whenever I'm involved in it, I always am pulling from psychology all the time. And what can you define what IO psychology is? Sure. It's industrial organizational psychology. So in a nutshell, it's the application of psychology to the workplace. So the, the I side is usually testing, like your GRE, SAT, hey, fill out this application on a kiosk, please go to this website. It's, it's something to measure you to determine if you are a good fit or at a certain level, police 
fire. They may go through, undergo testing, government, local, state, usually undergo testing. So I side is a lot of analytics and a lot of testing. And the organizational side is more about the people. So it's ensuring that you have high performance, that you have people in the positions that they should be in, that people are able, able to really maximize themselves in the workplace. And so it brings and it allows for so many cool areas to dabble in that many may not even realize exist because I believe of all the psychologists out there and all the different like 50 plus fields of psychology, I believe we account for like maybe 13%. I don't even think it's that large. It may be fewer than 10% of us psychologists in the United States are IO psychologists. Got it. Yeah. Now I'm, I'm really interested in, in the human side of that and, and what makes people perform from an organizational perspective. And obviously there's a lot of reverse psychology as people call it. And I'm sure you have a, a more articulate definition for what that actually is, but a lot of stuff is kind of backwards in this world. It's the irrational, it's the emotional. And I think when somebody like in, in the term, in the world of diversity inclusion, it's like, they might say they want more pay, but what they really want is to feel included or feel a part of a family or feel fulfilled. Um, so what, what's something that you found to be true that most people find untrue in the world of, of team psychology? <laughs> people really overestimate the power of money. They think, I just throw some money at you. I give you a raise. I give you a bonus. So now you're going to give me your loyalty. That's what they think. They think that's the factor. And that's why people want to work. Are there people who are driven by money? Of course, of course, of course. But overall, that's not the case. We as people are motivated by feeling appreciated. Hey, you did a great job. You know what? I just got this email about you. I'm so impressed. Hey, let me treat everybody to lunch. You guys have been putting in all these extra hours. Reward and recognition. Those are key. Things as, as simple as a title. Sometimes just giving someone a, a title or allowing them to choose their own title. They feel empowered. They feel part of it. And it's also the other kind of myth is this misunderstanding that they think, oh, well, I'm just going to give everybody the same thing because everybody's, you know, they're just greedy. They just want money. And we got this whole COVID situation, just whatever. I'm just going to give them all the same thing. That's not how it works. We're all motivated by different things, but there are still commonalities. We want to be told you've done a good job, right? We like to feel that we're special, but at the same time, we have to feel like we deserved it. And that's another myth. If someone's automatically, and research has shown this, given a huge office and their title is like, you know, entry level consultant and they're given the penthouse office, there's that dissidence. Oh my gosh. Or maybe you're giving all of these technologies and desks and to put into your home office. You're like, oh my gosh, did I deserve this? I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to be able to live up to this. Yeah, it's a sense of imposter syndrome. Right. And so there's all those little things. And, and so it's so vital because it's not a quid pro quo relationship. And if you want it to be a quid pro quo, then you have to be ready for, hi, I'm gone. Goodbye. You got to be ready for when somebody says, I don't want to be part of this anymore. 
because it should be more than that in the workplace. So this is, this is something I wrestle with a lot. You know, I run a team of 15 people and one of the biggest challenges I see is if you ever tarnish that perception of feeling valued, appreciated, included, there's really not been uh, an easy way to turn back from that. Maybe it's from a lack of, of knowledge or experience on my part, but how do you turn a tide or, or convert a sentiment in a team when maybe these people aren't self-aware enough to realize that they are the source of the problem, like a team member who's cynical or who is saying negative things to other team members and spurring rot within the organization? How would you attack that if, if I brought you into my organization and said, look, there's this one team member who's basically just talking trash to other people in, in the org and, and causing uh, morale to, to deteriorate. How do we come back from that? Do we have to fire that person? Do we, uh, I don't know. I want to hear your perspective. As the entrepreneur or as the CEO, as the president, as the chair of the board, it's on us. We are the ones who allow things to happen. So in that situation, it would be a conversation with yourself or if it were a different organization with that said leader, because the behaviors that are occurring, good and bad, and everything in between are allowed and reinforced by that leader. So the person who's maybe creating this, this environment of rot that's just what we see on the surface. It's like a, there's all of the things underneath, like a glacier that we don't see that's really leading up to this. And that's what you have to get at. So like, for instance, in my organization, I haven't been perfect. There are a lot of things that I allowed because I was a really different person when I started my company in comparison to uh, who I am almost 14 years later. And we now have quality reviews. We immediately take care of things because we have a said culture at my company. So for instance, I had an issue just literally today where somebody was, it was a bit disrespectful. It was handled and they will be written up the next time it happens and ultimately terminated. However, comma, why did this happen to begin with? Has nothing to do with this person. It's because the person I had initially hired was creating this environment of rot. And this person referred that person, right? So it's, it's then understanding what's the root cause of this. Because again, what you see, it's just what you're experiencing. So you have to get at, okay, I recognize what's going on. How do we shift this culture? And also how do we make sure everybody's involved? Because it's okay if people exit and ask themselves to find magic elsewhere. That's what's vital. Because it always is with you. It's with you, with the president, with the executive. It's always with the person who's at the top. Yeah. I mean, everything lands on your desk or my desk and the buck stops here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in my experience, I haven't found it easy to recover somebody who has kind of switched to the dark side uh, in the sense that they have given up their personal sense of ownership of their attitude, their productivity, things like that. And frankly, I've fired those people. I can't have mm -hmm. a I can't have toxic people in our organization, and we don't want that. We don't want them to feel that way. We don't want them to come to work every day and, and have such a mindset that it's you know manifesting as 
negativity. But I, I, I'm really curious about that psychology. Even I, I, I want to dig even deeper on that about kind of what makes people feel fulfilled at work because this is this is really the glass ceiling with as an entrepreneur is you can't scale until you can duplicate yourself and, and make a team. So like, what are the the frameworks from your psychological education that you think explain when somebody goes down that path? Are they, is it just who they are or is it because of more often something that happens at work and it kind of triggers them and then flips a switch? Like what, what is that, the, the underlying cause that you think or that you've seen, especially with all your research? It really varies. I look at the situation in the sense of, is the person coachable? If this person were to leave your organization, would it cause a problem? And if your answer is no, then okay, we, you, you don't have to listen to what I'm going to say. But if the answer is yes, it may cause a problem, or I think they might be coachable. There's lots of things at play. It could be something in their personal life. It could be that they're just disengaged from the job. They're not thrilled or inspired anymore. It could be that maybe there was a change made with benefits. It could be that now they have to work on East Coast time and they used to work on Pacific time. I mean, these are real things that have come up with some of our clients that cause heartburn. And so to answer what is this underlying cause, what I can say is the biggest thing is when organizations allow the misbehavior, right? If a, if a, a banking institution allows their employees to open up accounts, fraudulent accounts, or to add products to clients and they never do anything, well, (laughs) Uh, right. So they're allowing something to happen. Now in those situations where you're like, what happened to, you know, fill in the blank person, they were so great. What happened? Sometimes you have to find out. Sometimes you do. You got to take that opportunity where, for instance, with, with us, if anytime we notice a change, I have one of my team members look into it, or if they bring something to the surface, we look into it because I'm all about, I want people to excel. I want to make their lives easier and make our clients' lives easier. And if that means you have to separate from KPC, that's okay. I want nothing but the best for you, right? But there are times where people may not be able to come to terms with that. So they're just kind of dialing it in and they don't realize that what they're doing is contagious. And that's the scary part. And that's why it's important to handle it immediately because there's so much research on this body called contagion, contagion of one's emotional state. So if you're, you're in an environment, whether it's physical or it's virtual and everybody's upbeat and happy and all of that, then pretty much everyone around you will be the same. And you probably have nice upbeat vendors. But then if you have someone come in there that's in this long, dreary mood and they're negative and nothing is right and they're nitpicky and they're critical and they feel like the sky is falling every single day, others will fall in line because it's contagious. It's contagious. And so that's why it's important to really handle the thing that you don't want. If you don't want that person who's potentially bringing down morale, 
because of the way that they are or the way that they think. And they may not even realize it. That's the other thing about this. They may have no clue what they are doing. They may have no clue. And that's when you have to have those tough conversations and learn if they are coachable. And if they are coachable, great. And if they are not, then you have to ask them to find magic elsewhere. Yeah, that's the part I'm I'm most interested in is the lack of awareness. And I think awareness is like one of those words like meditation that's gotten thrown around so much. It's lost its value in my opinion. But really like if you are aware that talking critically about something can very easily translate to complaining. Um, even if you're not saying mean things, you can very easily be complaining and, and spreading the rot through your colleagues. And then they reflect that thing, you're right back. And, and then the contagion spreads. I mean, a whole bank branch could easily turn toxic if, if it's okay to open accounts. And I'm familiar with the, with the case study that you're referring to there. And this is why I think meditation is so important, right? Meditation, journaling, having close friends and honest conversations. So, you know, in our organization, one of our principles is mindfulness, right? Like being self-aware of your health, your finances, your state of being, your emotions, whatever it is. So have you ever rolled out any initiatives to help bring self-awareness to the team? And and how did that fare? (laughs) So, We have gone through various trainings annually, quarterly, where there's some type of self-awareness component. For instance, many of my team members just completed a self-report assessment about their leadership styles and all these different dimensions. And they have completed several of these, typically at least once a year. And then there's a subsequent training that occurs. And sometimes I'm involved in the training. Sometimes I'm I'm not because I also realize my presence can throw things off because what's also interesting as a leader, you have to realize that people feel like, Oh man, I have to change myself because Kizzy's here, which is so weird to think. So just keep that in mind that you may need to have your team or coworkers go through some type of exercise minus leadership. So They go through it. They learn about themselves. They learn how to maximize. And what's interesting with the way we're set up, they not only are part of KPC and making the lives of each of us better at KPC, but equally, if not more, to our client. So while we have our culture at KPC, our government clients, each of them, have their own cultures. So that's where the self-awareness is so vital because they need to be aware of how do I now adapt to what is required at KPC? How do I adapt to what's required with the FDA or with the army or the Navy or department of education or department of justice? And so that's important because at the end of the day, we're here about making lives easier. And I emphasize that we're here about making lives easier. We're here about you being the best you that you can be. If you want to take some training, you want to get some development, but you have to be aware. You have to be aware. And it comes out in the trainings and it also comes out through different feedback or situations that may arise. Like for instance, there was a team member. It was shared that, that this person was saying some, some negative things about this other team. Well, We just unpacked what the situation was. This person had no idea. Like they didn't, it it wasn't even like a self-awareness situation. It was just that what that whole 
situation was more internally political than anything. And that's the other piece of all of this in the workplace that we don't talk about. And that's workplace politics. You can be mindful. You can have this great environment. You can do all these great things for your team members, but you also have to be aware and help them navigate the politics, the politics of what you do, the politics of your office. And especially if you're involved in government contracting, literal politics. So those are just some things that we do, training, assessments, having on-the-spot coaching, having deep conversations so that we understand what's really happening so that they're aware because there's that difference of intent and impact. And sometimes we don't realize what the impact is until way, way later. Yeah. And the thing I find most fascinating about all of this is that this is what I say when people ask me about meditation. I say the people who want it least are the ones who need it most, right? So it's, it's not something you can uh, hammer into people. Like quite literally, it's the opposite, right? You're asking somebody to shut up and sit down and do nothing. And people, a lot of people don't want to do that. Uh, and, and they would take it personally if you said that they needed to. And this is why I think like meditation hasn't become so much more widespread, but any kind of self-realization, self-actualization, awareness work, you're going to bring out the negatives along with the positives in self, whether that self is the employee or yourself. So how do you sell that into, into the team, into the clients, into the vendors in a way that they can adopt this uh, mindset of mindfulness and actually run with it rather than just like say, okay, yeah, sure. I'll do this because I have to. And then it doesn't work. (laughs) Uh, Well, we select people in and we select people out. So what's been great is at this point in time, the culture of my organization speaks for itself. So we select like-minded people who understand the importance of development, self-awareness, Uh, They understand how we're virtual. They understand how I am, (laughs) how I am, (laughs) just I am who I am. I'm I'm the same. Yeah. But we do the same with our clients. We do the same. So the clients that we have are an extension of us. We don't have any clients where someone's going into the office and they're like, oh my gosh, I love Kizzy. I love Lori. I love KPC, but oh my gosh, I hate this client. We don't have that. There are clients that we don't take on or we no longer work with. And I'm very, very, very selective about who we work with. Super selective. And so that's really helpful. We also offer, and I understand everyone's in a different place, but we have like a a wellness group through Slack. So we have that available and there's different team members who are on that, who have lost weight, who've gone through programs like Weight Watchers or what may have you. There's different challenges. There was walking challenge, meditation challenge, yoga challenge, all these different things that are available. As a team, we've done 5Ks together. We did a stair climb fundraiser and event. So throughout the culture of the company, There's this emphasis on being your best self. And so anyone who is not with that, we we part ways if it it comes out that's not their plan. But I want to emphasize the importance of on the client side too, because it can be very mentally draining 
to be in this glorious environment. And then you're working with a client and you're like, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? I, I just took a note on the, the wellness channel in Slack because I want to do that for my team. I've never, I've never thought about doing that. Another one you should check out is Karma. It's a bot for Slack where um, people can reward each other. Good, Karma. Okay. Okay. I'll put, that's a good one. Yeah. People, every time they get recognitions, they can use these points to buy things like a pair of shoes or a bag or a TV. Um, it's a cool Ooh, extension. So, I like um, that. Yeah. We, we should definitely chat after this and share some some hacks or hopefully our, our audience can, can hear some of the hacks too. But um, this, this one is, is really interesting to me. So you know, if you were to ask me what makes my team thrive, I would say learning. So we created a learnings channel in Slack. We actually got this from uh, my partners in New Zealand, and he was working with a big oil organization that, or a big uh, internet provider there, second biggest. And they, the, the interns are in the same Slack channel as the executives, the VPs, the EVPs, things like that. Oh, wow. And insights are shared up and down the organization. So everyone has an, uh, an opportunity to be heard. So when people learn things, we, we give four hours of paid learning per week. So you go take a course, we'll pay for the course and give you four hours of paid learning. And then your only obligation back to the, to the team is you got to go drop three insights from what you learned. So the other team members can learn from you, but we don't have a wellness channel. And, and as part of our pillar of, of mindfulness, fitness is an, an incumbent there. We've always been a fitness-based organization. So I really, really do love that. And I think when we were talking about psychology and selling in, I mean, I think the power of influence is providing a foundation for people to make a decision and letting them make their own decisions. So, you know, as we look at team members, I went deep on this because it's, it's obviously a huge challenge for me. And we have a really healthy uh, culture now where we have our internal lingo and we have like, you know, tiger blood is like our, the, the blood that runs through our organization. And uh, we, we only hire tigers and, it, it reminds me of what my coach said, which was get the right people on the bus before the bus leaves, right? Yes. There's, there's one case study where in our organization where I hired an executive, she was older than I am and she was a director and she came in and brought what I would consider old dog habits, right? Hard to teach. We eventually let go of this person um, or she left the organization. Uh, I think kind of like a splinter, those things find their way out, but she was experienced on paper. She looked like the perfect hire, but Goddamn, was she expensive? And and two, um, the person running her department now is a decade younger than her. And this person came in with humility, willingness to learn, like cold, hard desire or tiger blood, as we call it. And she's been much more successful, but comes with much less experience. And uh, I, I hear, so in our team, like if you give somebody a shout out, that person will get a bonus. So people will shout out their homies in the organization and then the, the lateral person will get a bonus for, for doing good work to the team. So people will randomly get like PayPal's for like 150 bucks, 250 bucks. And I hear that all the time about her. And she's a decade younger than the qualified applicant. And so pressing mindfulness and humility and willingness to learn upon people has never worked in my experience. It's always worked to give them a foundation, uh, a space and an energy and a culture where they can be that but you can't force it down their throats. And, and that's why I was so fascinated by your psychological approach here, because people just reject what is told to them. You can't tell them nothing, especially in this individualist culture. That <laughs> can't tell me nothing. You know, I, I got to find, I got to scrape my knees. I got to you know, chip my tooth on my own, which I have done plenty of times. I've uh, definitely uh, had my share of fuck ups that are only attributable to me. And I love that. Right. And I love that our team can, can have that. And, you know, as 
as we kind of take the learnings from this conversation and, and apply it to anyone who's in the audience who is either an entrepreneur or leading a team, I really love your uh, kind of hands-off approach to this. Let the, let the people decide, let them make those decisions and help bring them awareness, address stuff in the moment, but don't force it upon them, which is kind of how we all want to live. We, we want the government or the institutions to set up systems so that we can thrive, but not to actually guide our hand. And I'd just like to, to hear now, like with these kind of learnings in mind, like what do you recommend to, to people who are running a small business and having complexities with uh, intra-politics and emotions? And I mean, there's so many variables. You talked about all the variables. It could be they woke up on the wrong side of the bed, it could be a bad cold, or it could be that a big client canceled or that we have a toxic client. Like there's so many things to, to manage. This is why it's so hard, but it's like, <laughs> how, how, do, how, how do you recommend people get a grasp on that? What, what, if there was one thing that they could apply tomorrow to create a healthier culture in their organization, what would that be? That is an awesome question. I mean, first thing that comes to mind is you need a Lori Davis. I, I mean, there's no other way to put it. And perhaps you're not at that stage where you can have a Lori Davis. She's my director of getting things done. She is a wizard at this. She's a wizard of making sure every, every, everything's just working magically. So if you don't have a Lori Davis um, and you cannot take Lori Davis, <laughs> she no is poacher. the control. She controls, this. can't poach her. She controls her own destiny. And if she does leave me, that's okay. I'll cry. But uh, if you don't have a Lori Davis, what you can do, and, and number one is you just, you have to give yourself grace and you have to understand that you can only control certain things, right? There's going to be these moments. There's going to be things that happen. And this is why I put such an emphasis now, because before it wasn't like this, before there were fires and drama. And I mean, I had an employee walked out by like four security guards from a federal building. Okay. So I've had my share of interesting experiences with employees. I had an employee wake up handcuffed to a hospital bed. So I've had situations happen. (laughs) I did. I, I mean, you, so you have to have grace and you have to give yourself permission and authorize yourself to know like there's no blueprint. It's okay it's okay. Things may go wild. Somebody may be mad. You may have an issue with the client. It is okay. It's about how you handle that, that situation. And also think about, okay, what can I do from an offense, from an offense perspective? Is there anything I could do better on the front end to get us prepared for, you know, when things are going on, maybe it's, Reevaluating the requirement for a position. I have found that many of my strongest performers do not have a college degree or maybe they have a bachelor's. I have found the biggest pain in the ass is have PhDs. I know I've been a pain in the ass. <laughs> and so now we, we have altered our job descriptions where a degree isn't required unless the client requires it for the sake of that particular, you know, gig. So it's, it's, I all, I always think of what's the root cause, what's really going on because you can never predict. There may be a situation with a client, like right now, I mean, we're dealing with the requirements around vaccines 
And I never thought that this would ever become a situation for me as an entrepreneur, but it is, it is. And so thankfully we did some things in the beginning. We did some things that have set us up for where we're going to go. And you just have to give yourself grace. You have to give yourself permission that there's going to be times when things are not going to work out and it's okay. What you want to make sure is, make sure of is your team okay? Because nobody will love your company as much as you do, but they're not supposed to. That's not why they're there. They're not there because they want to be you. They may tell you, they really don't. <laughs> but you know, they're, they're there for whatever reason it may be, got them in the door and has kept them there. So your job is to make sure they're all doing amazingly, that they're thriving, they're being taken care of, or you may have to ask somebody to leave. So just, just, those are some ways that I handle things is I just, I've really gotten to the point. I laugh it off. I mean, it may, cause I'm telling you the day I woke up and I was like, oh my gosh, my employees handcuffed to a hospital bed. And I was like, oh wow, that makes sense. There's a mental illness issue. And I was like, oh, I was like, I started putting the dots together because for me, I don't see my team members. Remember we're all virtual. So I never see them. And so it, you just have to just roll with it and realize that you are always going to be that person who's building the plane as you're flying. You're always going to be in that role. And so I love it. I freaking love it. I embrace it. I crack up. I cry. I sometimes curse. I think about it when I'm working out. I just, I use it and I'm just like, hey, this may happen, but it beats those days when I was in that laundry room washing those clothes at that nursing home in Wisconsin, that could be my life today. And it's not, I have a glorious life. I have a very privileged life. So those are just some things I use. I just reframe it, mental reframing. Yeah, it's, it's beautiful how you put it. And I love the, the fact that you allow self-expression, you allow yourself to, to laugh and to cry and to, to really be you. And I think that will really inspire your team. You know, they, they feel that they can be them because that's ultimately who they want to be is they, not you or me. Right. Um, that's why they're there. You know, they might embody something about you, but at the end of the day, they're there to discover the self. So yes. I, I could go on for hours with you, Kizzy. I, I really appreciate you being willing to go deep with me. I, those are the, those are the conversations that, that really teach me and I'm scratching my own itch with this, with this show. So I appreciate you being open and sharing and, um, you know, I'd love to have you back on at some point and go deeper on some of these things, but just want to acknowledge you and thank you for coming on the show today. I, I do wish that I had more time, but we have a management meeting that I cannot miss. And um, I guess to, to tie this off, first, I want to acknowledge you for, for all your accomplishments and your resilience and, and your willingness to take risks, right? Like nobody gave you a special gift. You just started doing it. Well, maybe you have special gifts. Obviously you do, but um, speaking for myself, I don't have any yes, amazing intelligence that anyone else wasn't given though. I mean, in my opinion, it's, it's for, from grit, from willing to, to get back up. And I think, you know, that you're a great example of that. And so I acknowledge you for that. And I think the, just to tie this episode off, I'd love to ask how we can support you. How can my community and my listeners, what can we do? Is it make a referral? Is it sign up for an email list? Is it buy a book? Like, what can we do to support you? I, just engage with me on LinkedIn. I would love for you to connect with me on LinkedIn. Kizzy Parks. It's like Kizzy Lightbulb Parks. Connect with me. 
let me know in the DMs that you listen to this amazing episode. I'm on Instagram, Kizzy M as in Marie Parks. Connect with me there. Just engage with me socially. I'm not here to hustle you anything yet. So just please engage with me socially. If by chance you are interested in government contracting and want to learn how to win profitable government contracts, let me know. But otherwise, just engage with me. And if any way I could be of help, just let me know because we're based in helping. Everything I do, everything about all of my companies, it's all centered around helping. Beautiful. Yeah. And I get that energy for you and I, I certainly appreciate it. And um, I feel you helping me. I mean, I, I learned a lot in this show. So thank you so much for that. And we'll leave links to all your socials in the show notes. So make sure everyone has a direct link to you. And again, I want to acknowledge you and thank you so much for coming on the show on Zen Business Kizzy. And I'm looking forward to connecting with you next time. Same here. Thank you so much. Have an awesome, awesome day.